It's the 3rd of June, 2021. It's the day of uh, Atami Puja, uh, which falls on the 8th lunar day of the 7th lunar month. It's after the Buddha uh, passed, gave up the khandas and passed away into final Nibbana which is now 2,564 years ago. And so this day of Atami Puja, it's the day that uh, the Buddha's body was cremated. And so in the period before he passed into final Nibbana, um, even though he knew it was the last period of his life, uh, still he walked a great distance, over 200 kilometers. His physical health was in a bad state and steadily deteriorating. He was 80 years old already, and he had this great sickness um, to the point where he passed blood in his stool. But even though there was this deterioration of his body, he had this high endurance and patience that no other being could compare with the highest level of kanti. So for us, if we uh, have diarrhea and we need to go to the bathroom maybe five times or seven times, we already feel very exhausted. The body's lacking nutrients, it's lacking water. Uh, but the Buddha was able to walk um, that entire distance, even though he was very ill. It was due to his great kindness and compassion that he had to help uh, the last monk who would attain and awaken uh, Venerable Subhata. And there was also Janta who offered the last meal to the Buddha. And the Buddha received this meal and then taught him and he was able to attain to Sotapanna. And the Devas, they also were aware that this would be the last meal of the Buddha. So they offered him celestial food because they wanted the merit um, of that offering. And when the Buddha had eaten it, then he asked for this meal to be buried in the ground, because he knew that there was no other human who would be able to digest that food. So when the Buddha was very close to Fano Nibbana, uh, Subhata came to uh, ask him for a teaching. And Subhata had created the Bharami and made the determination to be the last uh, fully awakened disciple of the Buddha. And so we see that all of these great disciples, they have their history, they have their biography of their determinations. And for Subhata, uh, it was that in one of his previous lives, he was the younger brother of uh, Venerable Anya Kondanya. And Venerable Anyakundanya in that life, he met with a Pajeka Buddha, a solitary Buddha. And he took some food that he had cooked and prepared already and offered it to that Buddha with the determination that through that merit, through that goodness, that he would be the first fully awakened, uh, or the first awakened disciple of a future Buddha. And then he came back home and he told his younger brother what had happened. So his younger brother also went and made an offering and a determination to become the last 
awakened disciple of the future Buddha. Uh, so we see that with Venerable Anya Kondanya that uh, he received this first sermon of the Buddha, the Dhamma Chakapavatana Sutta, and was able to gain the level of awakening through that, gain knowledge into the Dhamma through that teaching. And all of the five ascetics were there for that teaching. And one very important member of this group was Venerable Asaji. And he later went to teach the Dhamma that he had learned from the Buddha to Venerable Sariputta. And Venerable Sariputta then went on to become the right-hand disciple of the Buddha. And uh, so there were many arahants during that period. And uh, each of them kind of has their story, has their history, their biography. And so this was, the, in brief, the biography of Venerable Subhata. So before he met with the Buddha, he had already practiced a lot. But despite all that mental cultivation that he had done, he still wasn't yet able to find the path out of suffering. We see that the news back in those days didn't travel as quickly or as widely as it does these days. As people were in different countries and different regions, and uh, news just didn't spread around so much. But when the Buddha came very close by to where Subhata was staying, he heard this news that an awakened Buddha had come, and he was delighted. And so he hurried to see the Buddha, because he was aware that the Buddha was in the last stage of his life. And so he probably had developed a very high level of samadhi and jhana before this, but that hadn't taken him to realization, to awakening. So he went to meet with the Buddha to pay respects and ask him a question, but Venerable Ananda, who was attending to the Buddha, wouldn't allow him in. Because the Buddha was experiencing such extreme pains in his body, and this just wasn't the time to be receiving guests. So an argument ensued. And we see that with people who have a lot of wisdom, um, they can really insist. Uh, they won't let, uh, let in, or um, give in, rather, uh, because they have their reasons, so they're not able to accept. And so Subhata was really intent to see the Buddha, to ask this question, and Venerable Ananda was intent to look after and care for the Buddha. And so neither of them would accept, neither of them would give in. And so an argument ensued between the two, and it got louder and louder until the Buddha overheard what was happening. And so he asked Venerable Ananda what was going on, and then Venerable Ananda told him what was happening, that there was uh, this monk from another religion who wanted to see him. And so the Buddha said, well, let him come, let him ask. And the Buddha gave him a teaching. And so he asked Lord Buddha uh, that uh, this thing that he had been wondering about, uh, this question that was on his mind, whether there are arahants outside of the sasana, the dispensation of the Buddha, whether this is possible. And the Buddha answered in a simile. And he said, uh, or asked back, well, in the sky, are there any footsteps there? Do any beings leave footsteps in the air? 
And Subhata, he said, no. And so the Buddha said, well, so too. Um, there aren't any beings who practice outside of the Dharma and Vinaya and are able to attain to arahantship. So one needs to walk this path of sila, samadhi, and panya in order to get there, uh, this path of virtue, collectedness, and of wisdom. So great faith arose in Subhata, and he had this firm intention, his barami was full already. And he asked the Buddha to ordain. And Lord Buddha responded that normally if there's someone who's ordained in a different teaching, a different dispensation, then there'd be a training period of many months before they're allowed to take full ordination. And Subhata responded that even if it were many years, I would still accept that he had this unshakable determination. And so the Buddha saw that he was ready, and he asked Venerable Ananda to give him full ordination. And so he was concerned that the Buddha would pass into Nibbana before he attained to arahantship. So he put in great effort, great striving on that night. And that was the night of the 15th day of the sixth lunar month. And in the end, he was able to attain to arahantship. And so we've probably heard this story before, uh, that he was contemplating his mind, looking at the objects which came over and covered the mind and saw how his heart responded with attraction or aversion towards those. And it would go between these bright and dark states uh, due to this movement of the mind. And he saw that it was like uh, clouds passing over the moon. And so he saw that outer object, he had an eye that was functioning well, and there was that uh, physical form and light uh, that went from the form to his eyes. And so he received that sight, and he was able to contemplate it internally in his mind until clear understanding arose, uh, which allowed for him to attain. And all four stages of awakening um, appeared at one time, or right after each other. Uh, there was the paths, the path and fruit of Sotapanna, and then the path and fruit of Sakadagami, the path and the fruit of Anagami, and then the path and the fruit of Arahantship. And so he attained to his highest level of awakening uh, before the Buddha passed into final Nibbana. And his Bharami was full already, so he could contemplate in this way uh, this Jitta Nupasana and Dhamma Nupasana, and contemplate straight at the mind and the Dhamma. But if we're just starting out, it's likely that our energy is insufficient. Our mindfulness, our samadhi, it's not enough to contemplate just the mind and the Dhamma. So we have to return to the object of the body to contemplate it as being composed of these four elements. And we can do it in that way. Or we can uh, contemplate the body and seeing it as being a heap of suffering. And if there's samadhi arising to whatever degree within us, then we use that to contemplate in order to see all things as being empty. So we do this a lot, we contemplate a lot. And this is the means that will take us to seeing the Dhamma. So before the Buddha passed away, Venerable Ananda had the intelligence to ask him 
many questions about how to proceed, about how to, uh, what to do with his body. And the Buddha responded that the cremation should be the same as a wheel-turning monarch, uh, which is that they wrap the body in white cloth, uh, in one layer of white cloth, and then a layer of teased cotton or cotton wool, and then another layer of cloth, and then another layer of cotton wool, and do this for 500 pairs. And then uh, the body should be soaked in uh, perfumed oil, and then put into a casket, and the fire that's lit uh, should be made from sandalwood. And so many of the kings, uh, they came to pay respects to the Buddha, and there was this these ceremonies of paying respects for seven days and seven nights. And then on the eighth day, uh, they went to light the fire uh, to cremate the body. But no matter how many times they tried to light the fire, it just wouldn't catch. And the devas, they said it's not yet time to uh, light this fire. And so Venerable Ananda was wondering why that's the case. It turns out that Venerable Mahakasapa, he was traveling with 500 of his disciples, and he hadn't yet reached, and so the devas wouldn't allow for the fire to be lit. But when he and his disciples had reached uh, Krishnara and had paid respect and asked forgiveness uh, from the Lord Buddha, uh, then the fire just lit all by itself. And this is something that's very amazing. So when they had lit this fire already, it uh, turned out that the first and the last layers of cloth uh, still remained within the casket. And these cloths, in between them, uh, they were filled with, filled with uh, different relics of the Buddha's body, uh, relics from his hair, relics from his bones, for instance. But these didn't burn up. So the kings, they came to take these relics and to store them away safely so that people could pay homage to them. And all of the kings, they also brought an army with them as well in order to ask for these relics. Uh, but the uh, king over the area of Krishinara, he initially didn't want to give any of them out. He wanted to keep them all for himself. And it looked like a war was going to start over the Buddha's relics. But there was a Brahmin who came along, who was very intelligent. And this was a Brahmin who was well respected by all of the kings. And so he asked them, do you remember me? And then he came up with the idea that he would share out all of the Buddha's relics um, in eight equal portions uh, in order to give to the eight kingdoms. And he said that the Buddha taught for you to have patient endurance, for not to not harm each other, to not kill each other. So even though the kings all brought their armies with them, um, they were able to accept this deal. And so the relics were shared out by the Brahmin. And for the people who came afterwards, uh, they got the ash relics. And so these, even though they're very small uh, relics, they're still relics all the same. And we see with Lumpucha's body that after uh, it was cremated, 
um, the many parts of his body uh, that were left turned into relics. And even the ashes, uh, they turned into relics as well. Um, some of them were very tiny, but they were still relics. And so if that happened for Lumpucha, we don't need to even mention the Buddha, that it, of course it would happen to him as well, uh, that his mind was so pure, and uh, this pervaded his body as well. And so we can talk about Venerable Ananda next, that uh, before the Buddha passed away, uh, that he was weeping, he was weeping very heavily. And the Buddha heard this, and he saw that Ananda was extremely sad, um, that he had been taking care of the Buddha for so long, he had been so close to the Buddha, and um, it was like, well, the Buddha was his uh, brother, his elder brother, and he held him in the highest respect. And he also was aware that he hadn't yet attained to full awakening. But the Buddha told him that in just three months he would reach arahantship, and through hearing this news his heart was uplifted, and that he would attain to this level, would uh, become an arahant, because he had stayed with the Buddha for so long, and he knew that everything that the Buddha had said up till now was all right, there was nothing that was wrong about uh, in his speech, and there was nothing that the Buddha said, but he didn't actually know. So he gained great confidence in the Buddha's words and in his abilities. And in the end, it turned out that what Lord Buddha said was right. That in the night before the first council was going to be held, uh, Venerable Ananda put in this great effort in his practice. But no matter what he did, he just wasn't able to get there. He just wasn't able to attain until he thought, well, it would be better to take a little bit of a rest. And so just as he was lying down, and his head yet hadn't reached the pillow, um, he awakened right there. So we couldn't really say that he attained arahantship while he was standing, or while he was sitting, or while he was lying down, that none of these postures are really correct. But when he let go at that moment, then he was able to attain and he became uh, the highest level of arahantship with uh, great knowledge. So Venerable Mahakasapa, he was waiting for uh, Ananda in order to start the first council, that there were 500 arahants uh, who had gathered together for this in the cave that was very close to Vulture's Peak. So today is a very important and special day. It's a day that we should recollect the Buddha recollect the Buddha's passing in Tefano Nibbana, and recollect his cremation as well. And through the respect that we have in the Buddha, uh, towards the Buddha, and then we offer our practice as a homage towards him. So we should use this opportunity to meditate a lot, to really be sincere for everyone to set your hearts on this, to give our homage through our practice, through our meditation through developing samadhi, through bringing our minds to be firmly established, or contemplating into anicca, dukkha, anatta, into this um, instability and stress and not-self, uh, just like we do. And so even though we're not yet in time uh, to meet with the Buddha, 
or were not born in the Buddha's era, um, still it is possible for us to give rise to the Buddha within our own hearts in this present era.